What if there was one solution that always worked? It didn't matter the situation, it always worked. Just like we sang in It Is Well, whatever my lot, whatever my situation, it would work for everything. It was a miracle cure for depression, for anxiety, for fear, if you're happy, to stay where you're at, to grow, if it worked for everything. Wouldn't that be great? Like a cure-all for every situation you're in? So this morning, if you're in trouble, if you're suffering, if you're distressed, if you're at the end of your rope, or you just want to serve and hear from God... Or if everything is going great, this psalm is for you. So whether you feel like you're on a sinking ship or you just want to grow, David is going to show us this morning that the process is the same. It's how we live a godly life. And so we'll be looking at Psalm 25 this morning. If you would like to turn there with us, we're going to read this all together. Um, And as you're turning there... um, We've kind of been going through letters from Peter and from Paul in our recent sermon series, and the letters are kind of very logical, and they flow from one concept or one idea to another. The Psalms don't really work that way, Um, and this Psalm in particular, I learned, it's one of those things that doesn't come across in English, is this poem is an acrostic, meaning that each verse starts with the next letter of the alphabet. Um, that David was using, and so this, it's going to be a little funny um, as we read it, but you'll, it'll, we'll put it all together at the end. So let's read it together, Psalm 25. It says, Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies glow. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act tre- treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Who is this person who fears the Lord? He will show him the way. He should choose. Um, He will live a good life and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he reveals his covenant to them. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he will pull my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase, bring me out of my sufferings. Consider my affliction and trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, they are numerous, and they hate me violently. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. God, redeem Israel from all its distresses. And so we're going to see kind of three things that we see from David in this psalm, and we're going to kind of work through them one at a time. And so we're going to start just with the first verse. He says, I appeal to you. And so the first thing that he tells us to do is to call out to God. Um, whether it's to appeal to him or to pray. Some of you may have, I lift up my soul in your translation. 
So it's really just saying, who do you call out to? What do you seek? Where do you seek answers when you need them? Maybe you turn to a self-help book, or maybe you turn to social media, or maybe you ask your friends, or maybe you listen to TV preachers, or maybe you read books. There are lots of different things you may turn to um, to get, it's, it's really hard not to wave back when the kids are waving at you in the service. Just one time, I'll only do it once, sorry about that. Um, so something we're all learning together, right? It's fun. Um, so we might turn to, but the first thing he's saying is to cry out to God. And you may be saying or thinking, well, doesn't God already know what I need? Isn't he just going to give it to me anyway? And the answer is yes, he does. Um, he knows what we need, but he still calls us to ask them. Um, think of it like this. Um, I know that I need to feed my children every day, and I'm going to feed them every day, and I have a plan to feed them every day. Um, but if one of them comes up to me and says politely and correctly, like the way they're supposed to ask for something, not like demanding it, um, but they ask politely, can I have something to eat? I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to sort of immediately get up and help them get some food. Now, when I do that, that doesn't mean that I wasn't going to feed them or I didn't have a plan. They may not have known that, but I still had a plan to feed them, right? But I moved a little faster when they asked me in an appropriate way. And I think prayer works the same way, right? God has a plan to take care of us. He has a plan to meet our needs. He is going to do it. He is going to come through. But when we pray, when we ask, Right? And we ask appropriately, not for just selfish things that we want or those kind of things, but in, in line with his will, that he kind of motivates him and he may give us something sooner than he would if we wouldn't have asked. And so I think that's what he's saying when he says, cry out to God, is he still wants to hear from you, even though he may already know what you need and what's coming in his plan for you. So we seek God, we cry out to him for what we need. But what do we ask for? Um, David in this psalm asked in verse 2, don't let me be disgraced. Don't let my enemies gloat over me. And so he's essentially, when he's talking about don't let me be disgraced, he's asking God to come through, to provide for what he needs, whatever that may be. Um, because this idea of being disgraced or being put to shame is talking about trusting in something that will let you down. Um, if I reach out to God and nothing happens, then I will be disgraced. I've been shown to trust in something that has no power. Now, we're going to come back to this later, and so I'm going to kind of leave that right there. But we're going to see how God comes through um, in a little bit. But we need to ask God to come through to help us so we aren't left hanging on our own. And so we ask for what we need or what we're trying to do. Some of the things they ask, he asked for in this psalm, right? Teach me. So we may ask, how do I live? Show me your ways. Guide me. Help me make decisions. Remember your promises. Remember what you said you would do for me. Be gracious. Give me more than I deserve. Deliver me. I'm stuck. I'm in trouble. Rescue me. Guard me. Protect me from temptation, from addiction, from apathy. Forgive my sins. And this one we're going to spend a little bit more time because we actually have two verses together that talk about this. We're going to do them reverse of what it is. Look at verses 7 and then verse 6. Because David says first about talking about his sins, don't remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. Right? Don't remember how I used to be. Don't remember my rebellion against you. And I think David here, I think it's 
important to understand that David is not minimizing his sin. He's not trying to pretend like it never existed, but he's saying, look, God, when you look at me, when you, the way you treat me, don't remember it. Don't be reminded. Don't act on it. Don't treat me like a sinner. Treat me according to your mercy and your grace. And one of the reasons I know that is because in verse 11, he says, forgive my iniquity for it is immense. Right? It is immense. My sins are immense in my mind. Like piles of sins and like this huge pile that David is looking at of sins piled up. And I think David acknowledged it was immense. And I, I sometimes wonder if we would say the same thing. When we think about our sins, do we think my sin is immense? And I think David truly understood the depth and breadth of his sin. And I think he actually had an advantage over us. And as I go through this, I'm not saying we should go back to this or we can go back to this, um, but I think it helps us understand because in David's time, he was living in the Mosaic law. And so they had all these rules and things you needed to do to follow God. And if you broke one of those laws, there was a prescribed sacrifice for that sin to atone for it and to put you back in a right relationship with God. And so David was in this daily cycle of, I sin, I recognize my sin, I sacrifice something for it. By day, he was reminded of that, right? Which is a little different than the situation we are in. We don't have right, a sacrifice for each sin that we do. So I think it's easy for us to kind of coast and not think about them as much. Um, we think about how deep and how often we sin. But we don't sacrifice for every sin. And sometimes we get a little casual with that. Um, so I think we need to work to examine our lives and our hearts to deal with sin. Because yes, the good news for us is that we don't have to make a sacrifice for every sin. Right? Because Jesus came and he was the once for all sacrifice for all of our sins. Right? Whether we think we have a small pile or whether we have the biggest pile in, that's ever existed in the history of the world, he died for all of those. Right? He came and died for those. And as we trust in him, we can be seen as righteous. We can experience God in a way that he doesn't remember our sins. He treats us as righteous because we are righteous through the perfect and um, life and sacrifice of Christ. It's almost like getting a clean slate. Right? When you believe in Christ and when you trust in him and you give your life over to him, you're treated as clean. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your huge pile of sins. He sees someone who is clean and righteous. And so he says, don't remember the sins of my youth. But then in verse 6, he says, but remember your compassion, your faithful love existed for in keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness. And so don't remember my sin, but remember your character and your promises. So for God to remember something is not just to recall it to his mind like he forgot it, but it's to act him, ask him to act in line with that. And so God is faithful to act according to his mercy rather than according to our sins, to act lovingly and compassionately towards us. And so he's saying, remember your promises. Act in line with your grace and your mercy that you have promised to us. And he says it was from antiquity, which means of old. 
that God has always been faithful. He has always been compassionate. He has always been gracious. And sometimes I think when we read the Old Testament, it's a little harder sometimes to see that God is gracious. Right? We see lots of judgment and dealing with the idolatry of the Israelites, but we often forget that he is gracious then. Being gracious is not a new thing that came with Jesus when he came to earth. God has always been gracious from the very beginning. And because of God's character and his actions, we can do what's next. We can trust in God. And so we see a lot of things that he does here in this psalm. He guides, he teaches, he shows the way, he forgives, he saves, he guards. And so we're going to focus on two in particular ones here, that he saves and that he is faithful. And we're going to look at verse 11 and then verses four, uh, 6 and 7 in a minute. So first verse 11, it says, Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. And I think when we look, think back to our salvation, we look at it mostly from our perspective, right? I am saved. I'm getting a good deal. I had all of these sins and all of these things that I did wrong, and then God sent Jesus to die for me, and I'm forgiven, and then everything is good for me. I get to be with him forever. I get to be treated as righteous, and that's good news. But God also benefits from our salvation and I don't think we always think of it on, in, on that side. And it's in the phrase here, right? For the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity. And as I read through this early in the week, I was like, what does it mean to forgive my sin for the sake of God's name? How, does, how is it good for God that I am forgiven? Right? But when he talks about for your name's sake, he's talking about reputation, and so what he's saying is, if you forgive me, just like David says, if you forgive me an immense sinner, then your reputation as a loving, gracious, forgiving God is multiplied. It's made great because you forgave someone like me. You forgave someone like David. And so saving a terrible person increases God's reputation, not brings it down. Right? When we think of people who are murderers and all of these things that we've seen throughout history, we would say, how could God save them? Right? That's not how it's supposed to be. How can God save someone like that? But God says, kind of in response to that, I save them so that people can see the greatness of my mercy and my grace. And it brings it brings up his reputation as a loving and gracious God. Right? His name is made great because he saves people like that. He saves people like us. And so it's great. It's stuck with me. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book. I think it's called Grace Awakening. Um, and there's a quote in there that he says kind of after he talks about what grace looks like. And he says, it's not really grace until you're accused of going too far. Which is, I think, how we feel when somebody who's committed great crimes comes to faith at the end of their life and they get saved. We're like, God, that's too far. They don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve your forgiveness. Right? But that's what true grace is like. It, 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 it forgives all. That all can come to him, whether you're immense or whether you're a criminal or whether you're just somebody in this room, God's grace forgives 
all for the sake of God's reputation, right? And David asked God to forgive his sins, which he viewed as great because he knew that God had promised to pardon the sins of his people who repent and ask for forgiveness. And so God pardoning David's sins and our sins reveals that he is faithful to his word, which is the second attribute that we're going to focus on, that God is faithful. You'll see this kind of scattered throughout, especially in verses 6, 7, and 10. So what does it mean that God is faithful? He is faithful to his promises. He acts when he says he will act. He saves when he says he will save. He delivers. This concept of being faithful is often combined with being steadfast and unchanging. So in the midst of that, of understanding that God is faithful, do you trust him and his guidance? Do you seek it out? We see David ask for that specifically in verses 4 and 5. He says, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And so do we seek guidance and trust in God, or do we trust in other things? Which we see in verse 3 only leads to great disgrace and shame. Right, Verse 3, if you remember, says, For no one who waits for you will be disgraced. If we wait for God, we'll be good. But those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Those who trust in other things will be put to shame. We talk about this when we say things like, that's too good to be true. But usually we say that in a negative sense. Right? We say that kind of after the fact. I knew that diet. I knew that class. I knew that investment strategy, I knew that get-rich-quick scheme wouldn't work. And see, I told you so. It didn't. It was too good to be true. And so at the end, the people that follow those things or do those things, there's a bit of shame and disgrace because you trusted in something that didn't end up working. That's what he's talking here, right? That he delivers us. There's no fear in trusting God. He always comes through. He never fails to deliver on his promises. And the other thing that I kind of noticed throughout this is that God can be trusted with both our physical and our spiritual lives. David kind of goes back and forth to teach me your ways, guide me, save me from my enemies, and forgive my sins. Right? It's kind of a back and forth. So he, he does, yes, forgive our sins. And I think we don't... like. Sometimes we say, well, I got saved and so I'm good. Now I can just need to ask for physical things. I need to ask for things in my life to, to pay the bills or get a job or whatever that may be. And so we kind of leave our spiritual prayer requests behind. So do we actually pray for spiritual things very often? Right? Do you ask for God to renew your passion for him? To help you desire him, to thirst for him, to seek him? to help him understand his word? Do we pray for spiritual things or do we just focus on the physical? But he also does answer those physical prayers, right? Of delivering from enemies, of physical things in the world, of rescue, of wisdom, of decisions, of guidance, right? He is good for both occasions. But I think especially for believers who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes we forget 
to pray for our spiritual lives, for our own spiritual lives. We may pray for the salvation of others or people that we know, but once we get saved, we kind of move on and say, God, just help me with these things in my life. But I think it would help us to remember to pray and ask God for spiritual things in our life, to renew a passion within us for Him. So once we cry out to Him and we trust Him, what do we do next? Well, next is maybe the hardest one for us. It's to wait on God. We see him talking about waiting at the beginning of this uh, psalm and at the end in verse 5. He says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Now, waiting for something all day long is not something that we are very good at right? When was the last time you waited all day for something? Without calling and saying they were late, without texting, without checking to see if your delivery was on time or whatever it is, you just waited until it showed up. But then in verse 21, he says, may integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. And then in verse 3, which we just read, no one who waits for you will be disgraced. Right? And this is hard in our world. We want fast everything. Right? When I'm at my house and my video won't load on my Wi-Fi, I just switch, turn my Wi-Fi off and switch to just cell mode because sometimes it's faster because I don't want to wait more than five seconds. Right? Or if you wait 10 seconds for something on a computer or smartphone and it doesn't load, you're just convinced yourself, well, it wasn't that important. So you move on to something else. Right? We've shortened our time of waiting to such a small window that waiting is hard for us. But that's what he's asking us to do, right? I seek God for forgiveness, I seek God for help, and then I wait. Right? He does the rest. I just seek God, I trust in Him, and I wait. He does the rest. He rescues he saves, he delivers, he guides, he teaches, he does all of that. I just seek him and I wait. And so this is interesting to me because if you know anything about the story of David, um, he's a take charge kind of guy. He's going to make things happen. He's going to get involved in whatever it is. And so it's interesting to hear from David no, I just need to wait. And I think this is some wisdom from his life. Of like, if I would have just waited, if I would have just listened to God, if I would have just asked him and waited, I would have been much better off. But what do we do while we wait? Do we just like sit on the couch and do nothing and just wait for God to show up and like lightning bolt, right? What we're supposed to do are big neon signs that say, take this job or go this way or do this thing. But what do we do? We, we seek his ways while we wait. We've read this a couple of times, but we see this in four, verses 4 and 5. Make, way, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. In verse 12, who is the person who fears the Lord? He will show them him the way he should choose. So if you fear the Lord, God will show you the way. In verse 14, the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he reveals his covenant to them. Right? We seek God because the answer, the path for us, isn't always clear, and because we know that God knows and sees things better than we can see them. And I think 
if I was joking earlier, but I think what we really want, we really just want a lightning bolt, right? We just want God to strike us and to say, this is what you should do. And he makes it so clear that there's no doubt what should happen. And sometimes God does that. I've had a couple of lightning bolt-ish moments in my life, um, but I don't think we actually need a lightning bolt. We just need to understand the regular pattern of how God speaks and guides his people. They call out to him, they cry out to him, and he answers. We don't need big signs and supernatural events. We just need daily, regular communion with God to be able to see how he is already working, where he is leading us, and he will show us. Um, I was reading a, a book in the last couple of weeks from John Piper, and he's kind of talking about how to renew your spiritual life. And he talks about kind of this concept that when we were thinking about renewing our spiritual lives, we want to do this big thing, right, that makes everything right and fixes everything in one moment. What he says is there, there are pathways that God has ordained that are regular ways to come into his presence, to commune with him. And what he basically says is you just need to remember the basic things that you're supposed to do to commune with God. When you call out to God, he answers. It's not magnificent, it's not lightning bolts, it's just daily communion with God. When you read his word, he teaches you, he enlightens you. Right? It's just a daily path. Those are the pathways we know already work. Right? They bring us closer to God, they provide us answers. So why would we leave those pathways for something magical? So what he's saying is just do the daily basic things that we know leads us into communion with God. And I think if we put all of this together, it makes the Christian life actually very simple, no matter where you're at in your journey, right? I call out to God, I trust in Him, and I wait. That's it. That's pretty simple. It sounds pretty simple. I know it's very hard to do, right? When things are hard, I call out to God, I trust, and I wait. When things are good, I call out to God, I trust in Him, and I wait. When my spiritual life is stagnant, I call out to God, I trust in Him, and I wait. When my spiritual life is growing, I call out to God, I trust in Him, and I wait. When I'm depressed and anxious, I call out to God, I trust in Him, and I wait. When I'm joyful and content, I call out to God, I trust Him, and I wait. And the reason is because He is the only one who's worth it. He is the only one that won't lead us to shame, that we won't feel disgrace, that will always come through. He will always deliver on His promises. None of the things He promises are too good to be true, even though it may sound like it. Somebody who's going to forgive all my sins and treat me like a righteous person and let me be in heaven for, with him forever. And all I have to do is believe. Right? That seems too good to be true. But that's how it works. He will never let you down. He will never put you to shame. And I think David kind of sums up that concept. And this is, this is where we're going to end, just with verse 15 of David's kind of what he's going to do in response to this. He says, my eyes are always on the Lord, for he will pull my feet out of the net. 
And I think it's as simple as that. If our eyes are always on the Lord, He will deliver us. He will come through. And that will build our trust in Him. And we will be better at waiting for Him to show up in our lives and give us the things that we need. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you give us even psalms like this from David, who was, had a very, seems like a very up and down life where he was in great communion with you and then he was caught in the depths of his sin. And so I pray for us in response to that, that we will take his advice, we will listen to what he has called us to do. To, to call out to you, to be honest about where we are, to say, I'm sinning, or I'm stuck in this temptation, or this addiction, or I feel apathy towards you, and I don't want to pray, and I don't want to read my Bible, and I don't want to do any of this stuff. But that we would call out to you, we would be honest about where we are, that we would seek you, and that we would trust in you because you are faithful. You will deliver. You are the one thing that is good for all situations. God, I pray that you would help us to wait for you. That in a time in our lives and in our culture and in the world where waiting is really hard and we're not good at it, that you would teach us to wait on you, that you will provide exactly when we need it. Whether it's an answer or whether it's a, a place to live or whether it's a job or whether it's a, an answer to a health problem or whatever it may be, that you will give us the answer in your timing and we just need to wait. But as we wait, that we seek you, we continue to call out to you, that we do the things, the basic things of seeking you, of praying to you for, for spiritual things and physical things, of reading your word and trying to understand it and live that out, that through those things you work and you change us and you change our hearts and you mold us to be more like you. God, so I pray that we would, we would just remember that we need you every hour of our lives, every day that we are living. We need you. That we can't do it on our own. There's nothing that we can accomplish without your grace and your mercy and your love and your strength. So help us to rely on you. In your name I pray. Amen.